Grace to you and peace from God our Father, for our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who blesses us with great comfort today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Here again is a portion of our epistle lesson. As we hear the word of God, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So there, there's a meme, you know, a meme that occasionally makes the rounds over the internet. Uh, it's a picture of four tires neatly set upright in a field. And the caption says, truck for sale needs some parts. Right? It's a good joke, right? Uh, and as we think about this, it's, it's a good illustration of what St. Paul is dealing with in our epistle lesson today. Paul was dealing with a big problem with the Corinthian Christians as there were some in the church who were teaching that there was no such thing as a resurrection from the dead. For whatever reason, either their, their rationalistic thinking, their pagan thinking, whatever it may be, they simply could not accept the teaching that there is a resurrection from the dead. And so they were adapting the gospel that Paul had preached to them. And they, they kept all the stuff that they liked, but they removed the resurrection. And somehow in doing this, they thought that they were serving the church, preserving the gospel, doing evangelical work. But what they were really doing is gutting the Christian faith and removing its very body and foundation. They were making the gospel into nothing, like four tires in a field and saying it's a truck. And St. Paul goes on to say later, and if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And so without the resurrection, all that is left is tires. There's no body. There's no gospel, there's no hope, there's no promise. We have no certainty, and our sins are not forgiven. And this teaching is not just from Paul, it's from Christ. As Jesus says regularly throughout the four Gospels, he says, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised. It must happen this way. Jesus must die. Jesus must suffer. Jesus must rise again. To take any aspect out of this is to deny Christ. It's to lose the gospel entirely. And Paul presents the gospel here. He presents it as a whole, a full body of the teaching of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And you take out part of the whole, you lose all of it. There's a danger here. Because the gospel is everything. 
There's no such thing as Christianity without the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. There is no point in your life as a Christian where the gospel does not stand at the center of everything that we are and everything that we do. It is the beginning, it is the middle, it is the end of our Christian life. It is all of it. We do not wake up Sunday morning and find out, I don't need the gospel anymore. It's not like having braces, right? You have the braces in as long as you need them, then you get them removed because your teeth are fixed and everything's fine. So the braces are gone. You can't say, I went to church for a while and then I outgrew it. No, the gospel is more like having a circulatory system. What happens when your circulatory system fails? You die. The body is deprived of everything it needs to survive. It's the end. And that's the same for our Christian faith if we despise, pick apart, or lose the gospel. It's like having your very heart ripped out of you. And Paul, being rightly concerned, calls the Corinthian congregations to repentance. He does not want them to throw out their only hope because they don't want to confess the resurrection. And so many have done exactly this. We, we look at modern Christianity. Uh, so much of the church has done exactly what St. Paul warns against in these short verses. They've abandoned the gospel. They believe that they're doing it in service of Christ, in service of the church, in service of the, the growth of the congregation and the communities. They believe that they're demonstrating great love towards their neighbor. What they're actually doing is condemning themselves. I don't like doing this, but it has to happen sometimes. The ELCA, those other so-called Lutherans out there, just had their church-wide assembly. And their theme was, embody the word. I like that theme. It's a good thing. But I will tell you right now that everything they did at their church-wide assembly was a denial of the word. They welcomed other faiths to lead them in their pagan rituals. They endorsed and celebrated sexual perversion. They prayed to the four winds. They continued on with their denials of creation, male and female, the inspiration of scripture, and many other just basic Christian truths. They rejected that sin is even a concept that we should teach publicly. And the greatest and worst sin is their denial of Christ. They encourage the worship and belief of any other faith, as long as you do it fervently. And it doesn't matter if those faiths are antagonistic to the gospel, they stopped really preaching the gospel a long time ago. And I don't bring this up to bash another church body. I do not believe they are a church body. But I do say this because I want you to see the danger of picking apart and choosing what you will believe from the Word of God. There is a profound level of arrogance before God for anyone to deny what he reveals to us in his word. And that arrogance eventually makes the gospel null. It drives people into hell. So I want you to be warned. Be alert. Do not be fooled by false teachers. They say that they're preaching the word. They say that they are ordinary Christians. They say that they are a good Lutheran church body. They say that they're proclaiming the gospel. They claim to be a true church. But what they believe and teach publicly 
is far from Christianity. And why is that? It's because they lack humility. They believe that they can continue as the church apart from the forgiveness of sins in Christ. They would make themselves out to be the ones who have to teach God what is right, who, what God is true, what God, teach God what is acceptable. They stand with their red pens in their hands, revising and correcting what God has revealed to us in his word. And it's not just the ELCA and liberal Christians that do this. It's everyone. When they come across a Bible teaching that challenges them. We come across something and we say, well, that doesn't seem right to me. It has to mean something different than what it says. And then we go about the work of the devil doing whatever we can to force the Bible to fit what we already believe. Oh, God protect us. What does St. Paul point to the Corinthians? What does he direct them back toward when they run afoul of the gospel? When their beliefs are straying from what had been preached to them at the beginning? He says, look at the scriptures. He says, Christ died for sinners according to the scriptures. That he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul reminds the Corinthians what authority they must be living in submission to. What has the final say on what the church believes and teaches? Well, it's the Word. He is the only true author of the Word. God governs and rules His church through the Word. And when we disregard the Word, we condemn ourselves to losing the Gospel. Without the gospel, we are condemned, we are lost, but with the gospel, we have everything. We have life, we have comfort, we have joy, we have salvation. As we look at our gospel lesson today, we're shown where we stand without the gospel of forgiveness. We see the Pharisee and the tax collector, they both go into the temple to pray. They both would say they were believers in the word of God. They would both say that they're piously doing the right thing, going to the temple to pray and cast their anxieties upon God, yet only one of them walks away justified. Why is that? It wasn't the one most of the original hearers of the parable would have assumed walked away justified. It was the one who had enough humility as he stood before God to know that he needed the gospel of forgiveness. You see, the Pharisee did not enter the temple in humility. He came into the temple believing himself to be righteous on his own already. He did not think of himself as a sinner standing before a holy God. Rather, he thought that it was suitable and good for him to teach God about all the good things that he had done. God, I'm not like those other wretched sinners, especially that tax collector. I fast, I tithe. Aren't you impressed? The tax collector collector was altogether different. He entered the temple in humility. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he needed God's grace. He knew that they could not demonstrate any goodness in themselves, that he could not prove anything before God that said he was righteous or good. And so what does he do? He beats his chest and he prays, God be merciful to me, I am a sinner. And so what's the difference? 
What's the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector? Well, one knew that he needed the gospel, while the other really had no use for it. The Pharisee was so proud of himself that he thought that he was just fine without the grace of God. The tax collector, though, was humble enough to know that he was nothing but dead and lost without it. He prays, God, be merciful to me. He's using a special word. Uh, it's hilaskomai. Uh, it means atone for my sins in the Greek. And it comes from hilasterion. It's the word that we see in the Old Testament for mercy seat. Every year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the most holy place of the temple. He would stand before the Ark of the Covenant, and the lid of that Ark was called the Mercy Seat. And there he would pray for the sins of Israel. He would sprinkle blood over the top of the Mercy Seat, and that blood was to be a symbol and a mark, a type of the blood that would be shed for our sins, the blood of Christ. And so what does the tax collector pray for God to do for him? But atone for his sins in the blood of the promised Savior. He wants Jesus to forgive him. The Pharisee is too proud of himself to notice that he even needs a Savior. So here we see this dangerous pride. The worst imaginable thing happens to the Pharisee. The thing that he thought was not possible. He was not justified. He was fixated on his own righteousness so that he saw no need for the righteousness of God given to him as a gift. But the tax collector knew that there was no righteousness in himself that could ever cover his sins. He knew he needed a Savior. He needed Jesus to shed his blood for him. He was and desperately in need of the atonement of Christ. This is exactly what he received. He left the temple that day with the perfect righteousness that was not his own. He left with the righteousness that is delivered by the grace of God that is received through faith in Christ alone. This is what we need. That is what you need. It is what I need. To be a Pharisee is not just to think that we're better than everybody else. To be a Pharisee is to believe that we can stand in righteousness apart from the gospel of Christ. Whenever a person thinks that there are ways to please God, to be faithful, to live justly, to truly love our neighbor apart from the forgiveness of sins won for us in Christ, they are Pharisees. Without the grace of Christ, we are nothing but condemned and prideful sinners. And this is also why God regarded Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. See, Abel gave his offering in faith that God is gracious to sinners. Abel believed and, what, and waited for what was promised in Genesis 3.15. He took to heart what God told of the serpent when he said, I'm sending a Savior. When he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, Abel believed in the Savior who would deliver him from his sin. Cain's offering was not given by faith in that promise. Rather, he gave of his harvest thinking that it was a work worthy of God's favor and that that work made him righteous. And because of this, his offering amounted to nothing. Cain was nothing more than a lost sinner. In the grace of Christ, we become more than lost sinners. 
and the grace of Christ, we receive more than we deserve. And this is a marvel to St. Paul as we dwell and we live in our text. As he lists all the witnesses of the resurrection, he says, Jesus appeared alive to Peter, then to the twelve, then to the five hundred. And then to as one untimely born, Jesus appeared to Paul. And Paul says that he does not deserve to be numbered among the apostles of Christ because he persecuted God's church. Paul marvels at what God has done for him by allowing him to see his risen Savior and Lord because he certainly didn't deserve it. Paul was a terrible opponent of the gospel. He would have been the first to deny Christ, the resurrection, and the atonement of God's blood. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had all the credentials of the man who would have fought against the gospel tooth and nail. But God changed all of that in an instant for Paul. You know, Paul's given name was Saul, which means great one. And Paul certainly would have boasted in himself as a Pharisee as being great. But after receiving the gospel, Paul went by another name. He was Paul, which means humble, small one. Why is that? Why the shift? Because he knew he was nothing. He knew he was nothing apart from the grace that God had worked out for him in Christ. And that is why Paul says, By the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but it was the grace of Christ that is in me. See, Paul could have easily begun listing all of his accomplishments and his life and his ministry. He could have listed all of his credentials, the churches he planted, the cities he visited, the sufferings that he endured for the sake of the gospel, the miracles that were worked through him, the miracles that he witnessed, and everything else that happens in the long ministry and life of St. Paul. But instead, he is content to say, is nothing. His work amounts to nothing. His teaching is nothing. His accomplishments are nothing. And his suffering is nothing apart from the grace of God in Christ. As Paul says in Galatians, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, Paul knows. He knows he's nothing apart from the gospel. And he is certain to remind the Corinthians of this fact. And he also wants to remind them that they are nothing apart from the grace of Christ. And so they must never allow any teaching, any work, any promise, any lie to remain among them that would subvert this truth. No matter if it's a denial of the resurrection, or in our day a rejection of sin, or a rejection of the authority of Scripture, or the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus as the only way of salvation, these things must be set aside and placed out of our life, out of our voices, and out of our view in the church of God. We cannot claim to be anything apart from the gospel. Our very lives stand or fall based on that one truth. Jesus died for me. I'm a sinner. And that means that as we stand before God, we cannot be anything but sinners. Christ dies for sinners. The church exists on earth as a place for sinners to gather. And the means of grace, they're only given to sinners. All have sinned, but not all are willing to confess that truth about themselves. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Not all are willing to stand in humility before God. As they choose to center their lives around everything but the gospel of Christ, they build their lives on vain things, earthly pleasures. And because of this, they will perish. That's not you. That's not who you have been called to be. That is not the life you were called into when you were baptized. It's not the life that you received through the word of God. It's not the life that is preached to you in the name of Christ. It is not what we are as we gather around the altar to receive Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we must be sinners. Sinners who receive the gospel by faith. We must be those who cling to the gospel of Christ crucified and risen for our life and our justification. We must be unwilling to part with a single article of this teaching because we stand before God with no other hope. It is either the gospel of Jesus or nothing at all. Many of you were here yesterday as we uh, celebrated Jan's funeral, and you heard this gospel assurance from Ephesians chapter 2. St. Paul says there, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you hear that? We are the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus to live by faith. We are created for good works. We are created to serve and love God and our neighbor. And these works are good. God calls them so. These works amount to nothing apart from the grace of Christ. In that grace, we are saved. In that grace, God sanctifies the work of our hands. God sanctifies the words of our mouth. God makes holy everything in our lives. Because in the gospel, we are forgiven sinners. In the gospel, we become more than just Pharisees who are comfortable in their own righteousness. In the gospel, our righteousness exceeds that righteousness of the Pharisees. Because we are blessed with the gift of Christ. Our lives are clothed in Christ. Our acts, our words, our deeds, our thoughts, our hearts are overshadowed by Christ and his righteousness. Whatever good that we do, we simply a tribute to Jesus. We continue in humility. We live in humility. We live by faith, trusting in Christ. As we live in repentance, we trust that Christ forgives. As we live in love, we trust that that love comes from Jesus. Because Jesus lives in us and will raise us up to be with him. And so we have no other life than the life of the risen Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, help us to remain humble so that we never deny your word of truth and guard our hearts so that we never believe that we can stand without the gospel of Jesus. Open our hearts in your grace. Sustain us by your mercy so that we boast in nothing other than Jesus Christ crucified and risen for us poor sinners. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.